Amen. This next song talks about how we much how we must watch right we see so many things that are going on around us and we know from what the bible tells us we know from what we've studied that christ is coming soon we don't know the day that it's going to happen we don't know the month the year but we know that he is coming back to get us and to take us home why because he told us and he told us what to watch for us so this next song is watch ye saints we're going to sing verses one three and five so if you have a hymnal on your phone or the words you can follow along verses one three and five one goes like this watch ye saints with eyelids waking lo the powers of heaven not shaking keep your lamps all trimmed and burning ready for your lord's To reign victorious, Lord, He comes. Yes, Jesus comes. Verse 3 Kingdoms at their base are crumbling, hark, His chariot wheels are rumbling. because he loves us and he wants to have a relationship with us. And I think that's amazing that not only that we have a savior, but we also have a friend in him. This next song is hymn 499, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. 
guys can sing with me. What? What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we Have we trials? Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in Last verse, are we weak and heavy? Are we weak and heavy laden? Comfort with the load of care. Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in
Happy Sabbath, Tabernacle. Today it is my honor and privilege to be the Lord's mouthpiece. I feel totally inadequate and unprepared for this task, but um, I know that my God has a word. And um, if you would pray with me. Father, I am not worthy of this task. I'm just a broken crackpot. But Lord, you said you, you, you'll use the cracks in this pot to water your children. So Father, use me as only you can for your purpose and in your will. Remove me completely, God, that only you may be seen and heard, heard and convert my heart as I speak your words. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Our topic today is family worship. What is worship? In the Bible, there are many verses that talk about worship as a weapon. Do you know that God used the worship of his children to deliver them? King Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20 verse 17 sent the people ahead of the army praising God. They didn't have to raise the sword. The battle was won in the praise and worship of God's people. In John 4, 23, it says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Are we worshipers, true worshipers in spirit and in truth? James 4, 7 says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. So in our worship, as we submit to God, he gives us the means to defeat the enemy. First Chronicles 16, 29, ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. So all these verses are telling us that there is something that happens when we worship. 1 Samuel 17, 47, the Lord saves not with swords or spear, for the battle is the Lord, and he'll give you into our hands. Worship is a weapon. It's a weapon that families today have been neglecting. It's a weapon that has lost not its power, because it's still powerful. It's lost its influence on families today. And we can see the result of that loss by the degeneration of this generation. There are so many things that come against our families these days. And the proof is in our society because the families are just a microcosm of society. What happens in the family and the micro reveals itself in society and the macro. So 
as the family deteriorates, so does society. So as Christians, as people of God, what are we to do? Reel it back. We are to rebuild the family altar. That's the title of my sermon today. Rebuild the family altar. What, is, what are the elements of family worship? We have God, the sanctuary, the altar, the priest, the helper, the sacrifice, the gifts, the offerings, and the children. So God is our deity. He's our divinity. He's our lordship, our sovereignty. God is the almighty. He's the one that we bring to our worship. He's the one that we honor, that we praise, that we glorify when we worship. He's the one who answers our prayers. He's the one who protects us, who gives us life, who puts the breath of his life into us so that we may express our worship to him. Who is God? He's our father. God is our friend. God is our savior, our liberator. God is our redeemer. God is our creator. He's the one who made us. He's the one whose plan of salvation was established before the creation of the world. He's the one whose plan of salvation gave Jesus, his only son, as appropriation for our sins. He's the one who is preparing a place for us so that when he comes again, he'll take us with him and we will spend eternity with our Father. Who is God? He's the one who deserves all of our worship. Our sanctuary, our altar. What's the altar? And this place, this is the altar, right? The altar is the area where God is worshipped. That's the sacred table where we offer sacrifices and offering to God. In Leviticus 6, 12, and 13, it says that the fire at the altar in the sanctuary and the desert for the people of Israel, that fire was lit by God, not by humans. And in Leviticus 9, 6, 9, it says, all night on the altar, the burnt offering stayed until it was removed in the morning. There are times when we have to stay at the altar all night because this battle is not ours, it's the Lord's. The sanctuary is the area around the altar. This is the sanctuary. This is the altar. And the sanctuary kind of brings us into the altar. Do we have sanctuaries at home? where when we enter that location, whether it's a chair, a couch, just a corner, where we enter there, we know we are in holy grounds. Do we have such a place in our home? Is our home a sanctuary? Is it a place where the spirit of the Lord reign? Is it a place where angels rejoice to come? Is it a place where Christ is king and lives eternally? Is it a place of peace? Where is our sanctuary? Because if we think the sanctuary is coming to church once a week, we have missed the boat of worship. The sanctuary has to be in my heart. 
the Bible says, my body is a sanctuary, is a temple where the Holy Spirit resides. So we have the body temple, the sanctuary. So there is an altar in me, in my heart, where I worship my God. Then there is the altar at my home, in the sanctuary of our homes, where we also worship God. And then there's the altar here in the church where we worship God. So there are altars, there ought to be altars everywhere we go, starting with within us and continuing everywhere we go. The altar represents communication between God and man. If you read the story of Abraham, wherever that man went, what did he do? He built an altar. Wherever he went, he built an altar. Because the first thing he had to do was to communicate with God. So the altar is a means of communication between us and God. Our hearts in an altar, Hebrews 13.10. There are multiple uses for the altar. For confession and correction. For prayer and worship. For sacrifice and submission for praise and thanksgiving. The family altar is the place where we have devotion. And in that family altar, in that location, in our home, many things happen. We chase the enemy from our house with the family altar in our worship. We increase our spiritual strength in our worship. We hear the voice of God talking to us in our worship. We sustain familial unity with one another in our worship. We promote love for each other in our worship. And most importantly, we train the next generation for the work of God in our worship. If we think that the church is training our children for the work of God, or the church school is training our children for the work of God, we have failed as parents because this work is done at the family altar in the home. That's where the preparation takes place. The other places are just peripheral. They just reinforce what you already put in your child. So there are... In the, in, the, in the sanctuary, in the act of worship, there are many functions, many people. And one of these roles is the priest. Now, I realize that as I speak, it sounds like I'm talking to a, a family that has a father, mother, and the children. In essence, yes, but our families today are not composed like that many times. So whatever I'm saying, I want you to transpose it to whatever your family situation is and make it your own. Because every sanctuary has a priest. In the biblical world, the priest was the head, the man of the family. The priest, Ephesians 5, 1 to 33, gives us the characteristics of priesthood. So when you have time, read Ephesians 5, 1 to 33, and it will tell you what a priest is like. But for now, we know that the priest officiates before God in the sanctuary. 
He brings the offerings. There are many offerings. Sin offering, guilt offering, burnt offering, peace offering, heave offering, meal offering, dough offering, drink offering, incense offering, thanks offering. There are many offerings. If you remember Job, what did he do when his children parted? Job 1.5 says, Job went and sacrificed before the Lord just in case his children had sinned against God when they were partying. That's the role of the priest. Are you the priest of your family? Is there a priest in your family? Is there someone who stands in the gap and who offers sacrifices of worship to God on behalf of the family? That is the traditional role of the, the man priest, the husband, the prayer warrior, the intercessor, the spiritual leader of the family. See, in the Bible, God has given an awesome responsibility to men. In these days, many women carry the same responsibility of priest, provider, protector, pursuer. <laughs> so we talked about what the priest does. What does the provider do? In 1 Timothy 5.8, it says, provider gives whatever is needed, right? Whatever is needed. Um, when you provide, you don't only provide with material possessions. That is the least one can do, is give money. But as a father, as a provider, you need to be present. You need to provide wisdom, strength, leadership, financial support, spiritual covering. That's what a provider does. It gives whatever is needed at that moment. There are situations in the family where the provider is needed to just hold someone and let them cry. Provide a shoulder. That's providing. Your presence is important. Be a provider, a godly provider, by giving God's presence in you to those people that he has entrusted you with then you can be the protector. A protector, um, Ephesians 6, 4 says, do not, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. The protector, you protect the mental state of your family. You don't Distress your family. You don't stress your wife. You don't stress your children. Some people are tyrants at home and angels in church. We can't be like that. You protect her. You have to protect physically, emotionally, spiritually, morally, materially. You have to give value. The Bible says, train up a child and the way you should go, Proverbs 22, 6. How do you train a child to be godly when you are not godly? What kind of child are you raising when you are the devil at home 
and turn into St. Gabriel at, at, at church. These children turn away from church as soon as they're able to and don't come back because we have given them a false image of the character of God. And if we don't change our habits, God will require of us the soul of these children that we have caused to be lost. Protectors, members of the church, we are protectors of each other. We are responsible for one another. Iron sharpens iron. But we use the iron to cut each other. This is not godly. So the older one who are trying to mentor the younger one without love and compassion and relationship and understanding and just come with a club and try to hit them on the head with the word of God, that's not godly. And when they leave church, God will require of us the blood of these children that we have turned away from him. Protector. Take this work very, very much at heart. Then we have to be pursuers of God's heart. We have to seek him every day. We have to thirst for him and desire him. We have to pursue the will of God, pursue the character of God, to be like him, for people to look at us and say, that's the child of God. Regardless of how we look physically, how we are dressed, our character ought to be reflected in our appearance, in our eyes, in the way we talk to people, in the way we greet people, in the way love of God shines from us. We have to reflect the character of God. We have to pursue the word of God. The word of God is a lamp unto our feet. We have to pursue the love of the word of God so that we can be guided by his spirit. Everything we need to know about life is in this book. This one little book. It, it has drama like you've never seen before. No soap opera can compare to the soap operas in the Bible. And if you start reading that book, you'll be like, uh oh, that's where Chandra Grimes got her stuff from the Bible. Because there is intrigue like there is no intrigue in the world more than in this Bible. If you start reading it, I promise you, find the version that you like to read and you will not want to stop. Then pursue the love of God. Pursue the love of God. You have to want to reflect the love of God more than you want to breathe. Because if we live a life without the love of God, we are dead. We are living but dead. We have no essence. We have no perfume. God doesn't smell this sweet smelling smell that he wants to smell from us. And our worship does not go past the roof. The love of God is what is the train that brings our worship to God. And if we don't have that love, we have nothing. So that's the priest. 
traditionally the man, and then we go to the woman, the ezer, E-Z-E-R. That's a word that I have learned to respect, to love, to understand, and to appreciate. Ezer is a Hebrew word, and it means helper, help meet. In Genesis 2.18, God used that word to describe woman. He said, it's not good for man to be alone, so I will create him an Ezer, a helpmeet. This word is used 21 times in the Bible, mostly to describe God helping humans. The human roots are to rescue, to save, and to be strong. Two times in these 21 times, it refers to woman. Three times it refers to military support. In Exodus 18.4 and Deuteronomy 33.29, it talks about God helping in military situations. And 16 other times, it, God uses it to describe himself as our helper, as savior of his people. So uh, Ezra is a frontline battlefield person, a watchman, a rear guard. Hosea 13.9 says, O Israel, how hast destroyed thy, thou hast destroyed thyself, but I am the one who is thine help. When Moses needed help to lead in the battles, he needed his arms to be held up. Remember that story? And every time he, his arm fell with fatigue, they were losing. And every time he raised his arm, they were winning. So Aaron and Ur spent the day holding his arms up so that Israel could win the battle. They were his Ezers at that time in Exodus 17, 12. So a wife, a woman in a household is an Ezer. You're not the weaker vessel. That's a, that's, that's a misnomer. The Bible does say that the woman is the weaker vessel, but it doesn't mean it like you are helpless. It means God gives you a covering, which is the man that he has put next to you. And so the weaker vessel, quote unquote, is the Ezer. And what does the Ezer do? Hold up the arms of Moses while he's, fight, he's, he's praying for the battle to be fought. See, when the priest is looking forward to the altar, he can't look behind him too. He needs a rear guard, somebody to look behind him and make sure that it's okay for him to do his work. So your role is very important because you watch his back. And sometimes the priest is weak and he needs your strength and you come and you hold him up with prayers. All of that happens at the family altar in the family worship. So every person has a role. So we have to hold up the men in our families. Um, was it March? March, April, May. March, April, May, June. We did, a, we did a three and a half months of prayer using a book um, by Sharon Hines called uh, Praying for Your Husband from Head to Toe for 30 Days. And um, 
we changed it to praying for the men in your life for 30 days. So those of us who had husbands prayed for their husbands, but the other ones prayed for their fiancés, their boyfriends, their brothers, their fathers, their sons, their cousins, nephews. We prayed for the men in our lives. And I tell you, these three and a half months transformed our prayer lives. Where we understood that intercessory prayer is the most important prayer you can pray. Because when you focus God's attention, attention on someone in need, that person may not even know you're praying for them. But God is focused on them, on helping them. And God is delivering them because you are praying. What a powerful weapon is prayer. So don't stop praying, Ezers. Whether you're a man, Ezer, or a woman, Ezer, don't stop praying because your role is important. You support the priest. Without you guarding his back, he has no support. He needs you. Stand there in the gap for the priest as he intercedes before the altar of God. And then we bring our offering, our sacrifice. What are we sacrificing on the altar, on the family altar? Selfishness, number one. You can't be selfish and be part of a family. It doesn't work together. Because family means togetherness. It means sacrifice for one another. How can you be selfish in this role? You cannot. Self-will, I'll do it my way, or it's the highway. God's way is the best way. We must sacrifice self-will at the altar of the family every day. Ego, pride, all of that has to go. Self-centeredness, self-aggrandizement, self-satisfaction, self-pity. All of those things have to be sacrificed. We have to let them go. We have to burn them every day at the altar in our homes. Because if we don't, we are destroying this beautiful gift that God has given us. And then finally, the children. I feel, and it's just my opinion, that parenting has lost its appeal for a lot of people these days. Um, we seem to think that parenting is conceiving, giving birth, putting an iPad before the child, and going about our business. That's not parenting. You can't, Harry has a plant that he has planted in front of his window. And he trained the plant. I was amazed that he trained the plant to grow the way he wanted it to grow. And the plant has a branch here and a branch there, and he trained it. He trimmed it. He trained it to grow that way. And that's what our children are. They are brand new plants that we have to train so they can grow the way God wants them to grow. 
And if we don't do that, we have failed in the most basic function that God has given us. Because animals have babies. And you know what? They train them. Birds teach their babies how to be a bird. They had an experiment in Africa where young elephants who did not have mature elephants to teach them how to be were unruly and were chaotic and just didn't know how to behave at all. And as soon as they put the older elephants there, their behavior turned around and changed. We can't let our children grow in this rotten, putrid generation without formation. We have young ladies who are entering puberty not knowing how to do hygiene, basic human hygiene. Because mama is not teaching that anymore. How to wash yourself, how to clean yourself, how to take care of yourself. What is this? We have young men, you can't walk past them because nobody has given them a deodorant stick. Who is supposed to do it? We are parents. We are responsible for these children, spiritually, physically, emotionally, socially, in every way. We are responsible for these children. And we are failing miserably. Failing miserably. Because we don't take the time to bring them to the family altar. We don't take the time to teach them how to worship. My five-year-old grandson, my two-year-old grandson, probably know 20 hymns easy and the hymnal, at least 20, and some psalms and some Bible verses because God is good. Because God saw 20, 30 years ago, when I was married to an unbeliever, and God saw that those three children that he had given us needed to know him. And so the priest was not a priest then. The Ezra had to step up. So I started having worship with the children in the morning. I'd wake them up, come on, sit down, living room have worship. So the unbelieving husband started in his bedroom, door closed. Noise bothered me. Months passed. One day the door opened, he sat in the door jam to listen. Months passed. One day he came to sit on the chair in the living room. Months passed. One day he took the book and read the Bible, months passed. One day, he woke up the children before me to have worship, months passed. It took 22 years, but this man walked into a church and got baptized because God had a plan that was outside of his plan, but God had a plan for our family. And this family worship habit that God implanted in us at that time continues now because 
praise the Lord. It blesses my heart when in the morning and at night, I hear Alexa Adley, Joshua, and Gabriel having worship as a family. And the children sing loud and proud their hymns. They started with hymn number one, Praise to the Lord. After they learned that one, they learned another one and another one and another one. And they're learning. Children are like sponges. Whatever we pour into them, they will absorb. We pour acid, they will absorb. We pour vinegar, they will absorb. We pour honey, they will absorb. We pour the word of God, they will absorb. So it's important that we build that family altar. Because that family altar is what keeps our children safe, our home safe, our community safe, our church safe. That family altar is the microcosm, is the nucleus where everything happens that is transferred into the church, into the society in which we live. Imagine what your grandchildren will have to deal with or their grandchildren will have to deal with should the Lord tarry any longer. What kind of world will it be? It scares me. It makes me pray more because I don't see this world getting better. Every day, Matthew 24 comes to life before our eyes. We don't even need to turn the TV on. And when we do turn it on, we just confirm, up, oh, yep, wars and rumors of wars, pestilence, and, and, and things and, and disasters and, and world events and, and, and the weather events. and It's all there. We can't fool ourselves into thinking Jesus is not right there at the door. He is. And we have to be prepared. We have to be ready. And we have to ready those that he has entrusted to us. Not just ourselves. But our wives, our husbands, our children, our relatives, our friends, our family members, we have to pray. Let me tell you the power of prayer. My brother made a mistake when he was younger. And my brother was taken to jail. But through it all, through the nine years that he was there, we never stopped praying for him, with him. My sister spoke to him every day, every day, prayed with him, encouraged him, listened to him, cried with him. My sister was there as a pillar for my brother. Five months ago, we realized that he was there longer than he should have been. So in doing research, God placed a friend in front of us, an, an attorney, who told us that there's a form we can fill out so they can do the calculation again and um, release him. But he's a resident, not a citizen. So once you commit a crime, as a resident, they have the right to expatriate you, send you back to your country. 
but we were praying. See, a family that prays is the enemy. He's no match for a family that prays. Everybody was praying. So they had an immigration hold on him. So when we filed the paper for them to recalculate, they realized they had kept him two years longer than they should have. So the prison system released him to INS. So now he needs an immigration attorney. $25,000. Again, God sent another friend. My other sister has a friend who's an attorney, an immigration attorney who specializes in this case. And he gave us the information about a, an organization that handles these cases pro bono. We contacted the organization, and they agreed to take his, his case. My brother had a hearing scheduled before the immigration judge back in June. <laughs> June 9th. It was postponed to June 19. On the eve of June 19, President Biden signed the Juneteenth Declaration. So June 19, the next day, was a holiday. So the hearing didn't take place. He had another hearing in July on the 15th. On the 15th, he had another hearing. The hearing didn't take place. The attorney said, these things take a long time, and it might take six months or whatever for them to release him. But we were praying. We were praying. We were praying. We were praying. We were praying and begging God. Two days ago, we get a call. He's been released. Attorney doesn't know what happened. We don't know what happened. He was sleeping when they came to get him and said, hey, you got to go. My brother is home. Praise the Lord for answered prayers. We still don't know what happened. We still don't understand what happened because he didn't have the court hearing. We don't know. But God knows, and he opened the doors. Prayer works. The family altar, the family worship is where these battles are won. And no matter what the reason or the way that he was released, all we can say is glory to God in the highest. Praise the Lord for his grace and his mercy. The family altar Worship is where we win. Worship is where these battles are won. No matter what's happening in your family. If your marriage is on the rocks, get to the altar and pray. If your children are wayward, get to the altar and pray. Like Job, pray. If somebody is sick, get to the altar and pray. We use prayer as a last resort. Prayer should be our first priority. Jericho, 
the walls of Jericho didn't fall after they fought, then they, 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 they worship. No, no, no. They worshiped first and the walls fell without pulling out a sword. Worship is our weapon, people of God. Nothing else can save us. Worship is our weapon. Use it. And the best part is it's free. Free zero money. All you got to do is submit your heart to God and acknowledge him as your Lord and Savior and worship him in spirit and in truth. Just do it, people. Surrender. Surrender. Life is heavy. Life is hard. Life is chaotic. Life is crazy. But in the midst of all this, there is a God who, looks, who sits high and looks low. A God who hears our calls. A God who collects our tears. A God who promises to give us beauty for ashes. A God who just waiting, waiting for us to come to him because his entire goal is to answer our prayers. That's what our God wants to do. And we waste time on human help that have no power when we have the most powerful helper ever in the world who is just waiting for us to come to him. Don't waste time, people. Time is gone. We do not have time anymore. Don't waste your time on futile things. Give it to Jesus. Surrender to him. Is anyone in here willing, wanting, desiring to surrender this life to God? To allow him to be our answer, to be our God, to bring our altar to him, our heart altar, our family altar, our worship altar. Are you willing? Are you wanting to let God be your guide, to let God be your God, your Savior and your Lord? If you are, please stand with me as Jeremy sings for us.
my precious Savior, and I surrender all. Eternal God and our Father, we surrender all to you, God all that we have been in the past, all that we are today, all that we are becoming because of you, Father, we surrender, Lord. Father, you said you will make all things new. You said you give beautiful ashes. You said you can take something old and make it better, make it brand new. Father, you can transform us into the altars that you need us to be so that our worship to you is unhindered. We ask you, Lord, in the name of Jesus, to remove everything in us that's not of you, God. Father, we have baggage upon baggage upon baggage because the enemy has been piling up trash upon your children. But God, you are the cleaner of cleaners. And you can remove that trash. So Father, take away the trash and polish us into brilliant vessels that reflect you, your face, your love, your character, your glory. Father, make us new into who you want us to be and help our will to be surrendered to your will, God. Not because of who we are, but because of who you are. Because you are the one who breaks chains you are the one who delivers from sin. You are the one who renews our souls and our heart. Father, we place our families before you, Father. Father, those of us who do not yet have a family altar, I pray in the name of Jesus that today, right now, we will create a family altar in our home so that the enemy will no longer be welcome in your sanctuary, God. In the name of Jesus, we put him out. Eviction notice. Get out. Get me behind me, Satan. You got no place in here. In the name of Jesus, deliver us from evil, God. And grant us your peace. And Father, when you come in your kingdom, let none of us who are here physically or listen on the waves right now or will listen later be lost. Because you will have saved and gathered your children as you promised. Praise your name. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.